Hey, leaders and managers, Marcel here. You know, I got this leadership development course out right now, and it's getting fantastic reviews. So I want to tell you a little bit about it because it might be for you. It's called From Boss to Leader, and it teaches emerging leaders and managers those servant leadership skills, the, the everyday stuff that you need to inspire, engage, and motivate your team for high performance, you know, to get bottom line results. Now, we're not just taking anyone for this course. We want to make sure that you're truly invested in your growth as a servant leader. So if you'd like to explore whether this this experience is really for you or your team of managers, visit my website right now, marcelschwantes.com, and click on training. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to another episode of the Love in Action podcast. Glad you are here. Please share this episode far and wide with someone in a leadership role. And hey, if you like today's episode, do us a favor and drop us a positive review and five-star rating on iTunes. We would be grateful for that. Since 2020, over 40 million Americans have left their jobs. You want to know one of the top reasons for this whole thing called the, the Great Resignation? Feeling disrespected was cited by 57% of those people who left. So I've brought to the show countless renowned guests who you know, are talking about what we've been talking about well before there was ever a thing called great resignation or quiet quitting. Workers today want to feel seen and they want to feel appreciated for who they are as human beings. Basically, they've drawn their line in the sand. So that's why companies with the best retention morale and productivity that people like me and my guests have been tracking for you know a couple of decades now those companies are led by leaders who show compassion who put love into action and really who lead with heart and today's guest will continue to drive that thinking home because you know it's the whole reason we have this show and people like him write books like that so we're on a mission to convince the world that leading with love and care is really good for business. So in a recent book called Leading with Heart, Five Conversations That Unlock Creativity, Purpose, and Results, two of the world's top CEO coaches offer clear practical insights, a ton of research, and firsthand accounts of CEOs who basically put their people first to create these amazing productive company cultures. So the authors identified five key conversations that the most effective leaders they've worked with in some of the biggest companies on the planet. Think Nike and Geico and Apple. These leaders had these conversations with their teams. We're going to uncover those conversations in great detail and how having these conversations connects leaders to their employees on the deepest human level. So one of those authors is here with us today. Edward Sullivan has been coaching and advising startup founders, Fortune 10 executives, and heads of state for over 15 years. His clients include executives from Google, Salesforce, Slack, and dozens of other fast growth companies. He holds an MBA from Wharton and an MPA from the Harvard Kennedy School. Edward is CEO and president of the renowned executive coaching consultancy velocity he now joins us welcome edward to the love in action podcast hey marcel thank you so much for having me yeah it's it's a pleasure and it's been a long time company because i once i got this book i mean i i went through it probably in about three days it was a it was a page turner but hey i'm biased because that's i'm kind of a geek when it comes to what you know books like this especially with the title leading with heart 
So I was all over it. So I'm so glad you're here. Well, thank you. Three days might not be the record, but it's pretty high up there. <laughs> yeah, I think my mom read it in one sitting. So <laughs> that says a lot about your mom. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. So we have this uh, this kickoff question for listeners to get to know a little bit about you and and really how you've arrived here. So you ready? Yeah. What's your story? Oh man, Marcel. You know, it's it's funny. I. I sometimes wonder how I got here, right? Because I'm just a kid from outside Philadelphia, the son of a cop and a secretary. And throughout my life, I've had these moments where I have felt drafted, right? Into different places, different jobs, different kinds of service, right? Early in my career, I was drafted from DC to go out to New Mexico to run an environmental nonprofit. And then when I was in New Mexico, I was drafted by James Carville and his team and back to DC to run campaigns around the world. And I was, you know, in my late 20s and 30s flying around as this political consultant. And then I was drafted to help build some, you know, big solar projects in California. Like throughout my career, people have kind of knocked on the door and said, hey, you'd be good at this, right? And I ended up as a coach because my business school classmates drafted me to coach them. You know, it was it was something I actually rejected at first. I was like, I'm not a coach. I'm just your friend. Can't we be just be classmates? I'm happy to help you and talk to you anytime. And my friend Julia said, no, you don't get it. You've been coaching me for five years. I just never paid you. Okay. Like this is totally your calling. And I listened to that calling about eight years ago and it's been a dream. It's been a wonderful journey ever since. And, uh, you know, recently culminated uh, well, I guess it's not culminating. The recent milestone was uh, releasing this book with my business partner, John, and we're really enjoying being able to share this message leading with heart. Thanks for that story. And I, I love to get into you know background stories about how a book came to fruition, basically. And which in your and John's case as coaches, I mean, it has a lot to do with your findings, right? So specifically for you guys, the journey began with this book behind one simple question that that I guess that you asked. So I want to ask you to just kind of walk us through that journey, you know, the process, maybe, maybe pull in the data gathering uh, from all your clients. I mean, you had to sift through a mountain of data and what did you discover basically? Yeah. I mean, so John and I sat down a couple of years ago, probably over three years ago, and we were chatting about how we can have a bigger impact in the world because, you know, we run this boutique executive coaching firm. It's the two of us. We've got 30 other coaches. We can only work with a couple hundred companies, maybe let's say at the, at the size we're at now, but there's thousands of companies that need this work and need this message. And we thought, well, if we wrote a book, we could talk to more people. You know, if we wrote a book, we could kind of get the message out there. And you've been, you know, out there with the message for a long time. Like a lot of people have been trying to convey this, but you know, what gets repeated gets remembered. So we thought, well, why don't we kind of come at the world with our own take of what great, compassionate, inclusive leadership looks like? So as you said, you know, we sat down and we looked at all the data. And we, we said, like, what really makes a difference between great leaders and, and mediocre leaders? Like, what makes a difference, at, you know, a company like Apple and Geico versus like their, their followers, right? The, the other companies in those categories. And we found combing through, as you said, years of, you know, 360 reviews and piles of data. We, we thought we might find something like, all right, well, you know, these leaders are more inspirational or these leaders have more executive presence or they you know tell the stories that really inspire people and get into their heart and that wasn't it at all you know like extroversion and public speaking didn't come up as in the data as like indicators of success contrary to what we would think right it's like oh when i think of a leader i think of someone up in front of the room being like impassioned and like inspirational yeah. charismatic no, is the word that comes to mind charismatic you know <laughs> charismatic is not make for good leadership right? It makes for interesting dinner conversation. You know, it makes for great motivational public speaking, but the nuts and bolts of great leadership comes down to connecting with people, right? So we found everyone from the, like the suit wearing charismatic person up on stage to the hoodie wearing behind, you know, the computer type of leader could be a very, very effective leader, right? You don't have to have that image of executive presence to be a great leader. You just have to know how to connect with people. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, without getting too far into it, I know we're going to 
dig into the questions here. We found that leaders who are very successful lead with heart. And leading with heart isn't simply being a nice guy. It's not simply caring with a capital C. We found there are actual specific conversations that people have to create the connective tissue in the in the workplace that lead to better results. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, you kind of touched on, I, I sometimes I like to dig a little deeper on definitions because when you say leading with heart, <laughs> so let's remove the the squishiness and, and the fuzziness behind the term for those listeners that are like, yeah, that's never going to work for us. Right. So, but, but without remove the fuzziness without taking away any of the impact of the, and the importance of leading with heart, you and I know where it's coming from. We have the data, right? So what do you mean by leading with heart? Yeah. Well, what I'll start with what I don't mean. Leading with heart isn't being a pushover. It isn't simply being chummy. It isn't inviting your uh, coworkers over to watch football games and going out drinking with them. It's not simply being buddies, right? Leading with heart very specifically is digging into what do people need to feel safe, to feel resourced, to feel creative? How do you help them work through their fears? How do you help them tap into their gifts, right? How do you help them connect to purpose, right? It's a very specific set of traits and conversations And it's frankly, the kind of conversations that we don't often have in the workplace. Researchers like Amy Edmondson from Harvard realized years ago that psychological safety is what creates creativity. It's what creates that that kind of like that tussle, that ability to get in there and dig through and have non-charged, non-ego driven debate in the workplace, right? And what we have today is A lot of workplaces, people don't know how to have these difficult conversations anymore. They don't push back, right? There's a lot of awkward silence, artificial harmony in the workplace, or there's just crazy toxicity, right? That goes to both ends of the spectrum. And what we realize is that you need a little heat in the system. You need the ability to push back. And that only happens when people feel safe, when they feel like they're seen, when they feel like they're invited to the conversation. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, I want to dive in, but those questions, I mean, I'm, I'm chomping at the bit here, but there's something I need to just get out of the way first. Okay. Here we are 2022, you know, the, the, the early stages of the pandemic two years ago, a lot of leaders that are like, they jumped on this bandwagon of, Oh, we need to care for our, our employees well-being, and they became more vulnerable and all that stuff. And then that, tapered off and they went back to how they were previous to the pandemic. So, you know, (laughs) why is it that so many leaders still struggle with being real and authentic with, with their people? I mean, why is it so hard to connect with employees? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with what you referenced a couple minutes ago, which is there's a perception that there are hard skills and there are soft skills, right? There's being like a hard driver and then there's being touchy feely. And I think what people, the mistake people make is even our language, soft skills, touchy-feely, squishy, all of that stuff demeans and undermines the actual core courageous work of connecting at an emotional level with people, right? It takes guts to connect. It takes guts to be vulnerable. It takes guts for a leader to say, hey, you know what? I don't have all the answers. Hey, I'm scared too. Hey, I need something different than I'm getting from you guys, right? And that is the kind of courageous, bold leadership that actually creates better outcomes because the objective of a leader isn't to show up and have the answers and tell people what to do. It's to present the problems and create an environment in which people feel creative and dig in and jump in on the problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you've hired all these incredible executives, these people with all this experience, and you're telling them what to do. That doesn't compute for me. Right. right? right. You should be asking them bold questions, getting them thinking and leveraging all of that experience, leveraging all that competency. That's where the genius is. Yeah. To me, it's it's being open to a process of maybe self-inquiry to know what's going on with you, but also to know what's going on with your team. Right. Because, I mean, in my own coaching practice, I... I have yet to meet a client, Edward, who has this 
crazy sort of like uh, X-Men like keen intuition that they are able to just look into themselves and or even look at others and gain uh, insight into an issue. Perhaps there's somebody out there that has that ability. I haven't found any in my clients yet. There's no flip of the switch. It takes conversation and it takes asking the right questions. And again, I go back to you, you got to be curious. You have to go through a process of inquiry. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay. So that brings us to the, the, the conversations and, and the questions. How would you like to set this up? You know, we like kind of the, so I'll, I'll set it up like this. At the end of the day, leading with heart is about engagement. It's about conversation. It's not about interrogation. So we we specifically wrote the book about having conversations on certain topics as opposed to asking people questions. Because you know, you go in, the leader starts saying, like, hey, I need you guys to be vulnerable right now. So like I'm just gonna ask you some questions. Uh, what are you fearful of? Tell me your fears right now, right? Or or what what are your needs, Marcel? Like, I need to know what needs are not being met. It's not quite like that, right? The conversations are organic. We include guidelines. We've got conversation starters in the book that can help people. And at the end of the day, these are ongoing organic conversations. You know, we hope that people who read the book, a lot of teams are sitting down and reading the book together and they go through the questions, they go through the conversations together. That's the way to use this tool because the book really is a tool. It's not like flip through, steal a couple one liners and then start throwing that around. You know, that's where. I think a lot of people, they try to cut corners, they miss the opportunity to really dig into kind of the richness that is exploring these conversations. It's, it's almost like being a speaker on stage and sticking to your notes. And, you know, you have to kind of get away from that so that you can speak from the heart, basically, and connect exactly. with your audience. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I realize that, you know, in my own speaking, you have what you wanted to say, and then you have what you are here to say. And sometimes they're very different because you read the audience and you and you're engaging with them. You're having like this energetic exchange and leaders have to be paying attention to the energy in the room and the energy that their teams are bringing to every conversation. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So if I've gotten your tools now. Right. Yeah. And even though, yes, it's an organic process, I might need a little nudge. So talk about maybe what the first question is. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the first conversation we encourage leaders to have. I think of it as like the foundation because I call it the, the gas, putting gas in the gas tank. Because if you're not getting your needs met, you're not able to engage in other higher order thinking and higher order conversations. Maslow did his work in the, in the 30s and 40s on his you know, hierarchy of needs. And a lot of those needs were just how to basically function as a human being. We need food, we need water, we need sleep, right? We need exercise. And all of that, we need to make sure our teams are getting met. But that's like the baseline. The, the real depth of exploration with this conversation is around what do you need to feel safe? What do you need to feel included, to feel creative, to feel like you're, you belong in this team? And that's where I think a lot of leaders fall down. They spend so much time telling people what they need their teams to do. They're not asking the question, what do you need to get this job done? Mm. Right? And that's where the juice is. Because everyone has their own, I like to call it their own needs map. Some people need more recognition. Some people need to be in the room. Some people need just to feel more connected, more affirmed. Some people need to be left alone. And the leader needs to get to know his team, his or her team in a deeper way so that you know they can treat each person as an individual. And, and now, of course, I'm talking a leader with her executive team. A leader of a 10,000 person company can't know everyone, can't treat everyone as an individual. But you know those people who are closest to you, those six, seven people who you're meeting with on a weekly basis, those are the folks you really need to understand their needs map and be meeting those needs as individuals. To me, it's the it's the yeah, like you said, it's the foundation. To, I I go back to the 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 relationship building aspect of. Uh, every leader's role, right? And and the way that you frame it in the book is what do you need to be at your best? And I, I love that even better because to bring somebody out to be their best, you have to get to know them first. You have to get to know their gifts, their, their, their strengths. And maybe there's different personality types in your team. Somebody's an introvert, 
Somebody else mm-hmm. is an extrovert. Somebody is task oriented. Another person may be creative, free spirited. And like you said, I mean, you nailed it. As individuals may have different needs uh, within your own team. Absolutely. You can tell the difference, can't you? you? When you walk into a restaurant and you can tell when people like their work, right? Or you walk into another place and it's just drudgery and they're just, they don't want to be there. And normally the difference, it's not that they get to put on their own music in the playlist. It's not that, you know, they get free lunch. It's none of those like superficial benefits. It's that the leader goes around and says, Hey, what do you need to do your best work today? You know, like they, they, they feel seen as individuals. They feel treated like members of the team. Big difference. Yeah. So gang, if you're taking notes, this is the starter right here. It's your starters kit. Okay. (laughs) What do you need to be at your best? Use that question to start to spark up conversations that are probably going to need, you know, lead to to greater things. Maybe finding out even greater needs for your employees and your workforce that you never knew about. But you got to have a question that triggers other conversations. This is a great one. What do you need to be at your best? All right. So should we go to the second conversation? Sure, sure. <laughs> so, you know, if what do you need to be at your best is the gas and the gas tank conversation. This next question is the filling in the potholes and clearing the road okay. question, right? Because what fears might hold you back is the next conversation. And right here, we're diving into the deep end with people talking about fears in the office. Are you crazy? Like, I need to be perceived as strong. I need to show that I... Uh, never let them see you sweat, right? All these kinds of ideas that we've been we've been fed over the years. I actually think it's BS, Marcel. You know, looking at great leaders we worked with, they are vulnerable. They show that kind of soft underbelly. They let their teams know when they don't have the answers, and they make their teams feel okay not having the answers as well. If you have a fear-run organization, you're going to have more turnover, you're going to have less transparency, you're going to have more siloing and politics, like all those negative behaviors we see in the workplace come out of people acting out of fear. There's a a line in the book that I'm really proud of that where we say, if your team is afraid to tell you when they smell smoke, you're always going to be putting out fires, right? A lot of leaders, they still operate with this like old idea of, don't bring me problems, only bring me solutions. Okay. So what you've basically said is you've told everyone in your team not to tell you when there's an intractable problem that is small enough for us to take care of now, if we could all put our collective energy into, but I don't know how to deal with it on my own. I can't bring the problem to the team. So I'm just going to sit on it, Marcel. And then when it's a five alarm fire, it's too late, right? So leaders, I implore you, tell your team, bring me all your problems. Bring me everything you can't solve on your own. That's what we're here for. I want you to feel safe. Don't feel afraid of being seen as incompetent. Don't be afraid of being seen as needy. You need to feel safe coming here so we can work on these problems together. Yeah, I love it. So, okay, so here's the million dollar question. So that the, the, the pendulum isn't swinging too far one way. From a leadership standpoint, though, is all fear bad? All fear is not bad. In fact, fear is is what gives us activation energy. You know, Michael Phelps likes to talk about how when he got in the pool every time for one of his big swims, he was always scared shitless. <laughs> Excuse my language. I know this is a this is a family uh, podcast here, but um, that fear though drove him to fight harder. Some people's fear response. It's to choke, it's to freeze. But Michael Phelps, he was a fighter. Some studies were done a few years ago that kind of measured what level of fear in a system is most effective and is is ideal. And it's about a four out of 10. And what I mean by that is if there's no fear in the system, if it's like a one or two, if everyone's like super comfortable, there's no reason to get out of bed. There's no reason to try. There's no problem to solve. If fear is up at like eight, nine, 10, we're at like, we're redlining. It's polarization. People are fighting. People are panicked. The amygdala, that little lizard brain takes over, you know, they're, they're totally hijacked. The prefrontal cortex shuts down. There's no creative thinking happening. It's the, the role of the leader is to keep it around four or five, 
you know, just enough energy in the system. So people are on their toes, they're alert, they're like, let's go, but not so much that they're shutting down, that they're fighting, that they're freezing. This is good. So from a practical standpoint, down in the trenches or, you know, up in the C-suite, when will I know when I'm getting near that maybe seven, eight on on the scale that you just mentioned? It's all those negative behaviors. As soon as you see politics, as soon as you see people hoarding resources, as soon as you see someone coming to you to complain about another teammate, all of those like kind of nitpicky, fighty kind of things, or if people are just shutting down, they're freezing, they aren't sharing information with you, aren't sharing information with each other. All those negative behaviors are signals. There's a little too much fear in the system. Let's circle the wagons. Let's get people together and talk about what fears are holding us back right now. Right. Right. And then how can we move through them? And speaking of moving through them, you actually list a like a little framework that I love, and I I wrote it down here on my notes. So I'm going to touch on on some of them. I don't know if these are are coping mechanisms, but you call it strategies to deal with fear, and and one of them is just, just to name your fear and embrace it, and that's very counterintuitive. It is very counterintuitive, especially when we feel like we need to be showing ourselves as strong, right? We need to be never, as I said, I always say, never, never let them see you sweat. That's really bad advice, Marcel. You know, we need to feel safe enough to share when we're fearful. And it's the leader that gets up there and says, Hey guys, I'm dealing with a little bit of uncertainty and fear right now. Or, you know, this is how I'm, uh, how like, you know, the markets are affecting me right now. A lot of people would say, Oh, the leader needs to create the holding space, needs to be the strong person, needs to, you know, make everyone feel safe. But everyone can tell when the leader is BSing them. It's all fine, folks. Don't worry. Everything's fine. Everyone knows when you're lying. Everyone knows they can see right through you (laughs) and you're just losing credibility. You're losing trust. It's the leader that gets up there and says, guess what? This is going to be hard. This is going to test us. We may not make it through. I give us, you know, 50% chance of success, but we're going to really try. One of my clients who has the most loyal team, he has had zero turnover in the last two years, zero, says to his team almost all the time, we are nearly 100% chance of failure. We are going for goal. We're trying to do something that is so difficult and so unlikely of success that is nearly 100% chance of us failing, but we're going for it because it's important. And it's, you know, you don't build you know the next Facebook by doing something that um, everyone's already done before. So just by virtue of being honest about the chances, he has developed the most loyal workforce of anyone we're working with. That's great. Yeah. Should we transition to the third conversation? Sure, sure. I like I like how you're kind of moving us along here, Marcel. So just to take uh, listeners um, into like the middle of the book here, this is where we talk about desires. And, you know, oh, desires, Edward, what are you talking about? Well, it's not those kinds of desires. It's more, what do you really want, right? What motivates you? What kind of gets you going? So I call this the gas pedal question, right? The gas pedal conversation. Like, you know, now that we've got gas in the tank, we've cleared the road, how hard are we going to press on the gas? Now, the thing, if you've ever driven a really nice sports car, you know, if you press on the gas too hard in a turn, you might go off the road, right? So these desires motivate us, but they can also derail us. So it's the, it's the leader's responsibility to have conversations and understand what people need to really get going and get excited, get motivated, but also to understand when they might be clipping out, when they might be redlining. Because... Uber was known for developing like a super competitive culture, right? We're going to beat Lyft. We're going to beat big taxi. And everyone's like, yeah, 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 go, go, go. But guess what? They also pushed it too far. They started getting into unscrupulous business practices. Their reputation took a big hit because they were seen as the bad guys, right? And uh, you know, eventually the CEO had to step down because of those practices by being overly competitive. Other clients we've worked with, they're really really motivated by learning. Like they're, they're just curious, they're scientists, they want to dig in, they want to like figure out the problems, which is great. Gets people excited, gets them moving. It can also be overplayed when it turns into navel gazing, when we never actually launch, 
when we think mm, maybe just one more month of research and we'll figure out, you know, I don't want anyone to see this. So like perfectionism starts creeping in. So like, it's interesting how that thing that can motivate us can also derail us. And it's really important for leaders to hold that in balance. Talk about the desire for you. You, you know, this is coming being on this show. Yeah. The desire that leaders have for acceptance and love and belonging. So that's a very natural human desire. We all want to belong. We all want to feel appreciated. We all want to be loved and to love. And at the same time, if you take that to its extreme, it turns into people pleasing, right? It turns into accepting unacceptable behavior. This happens in romance. This happens in you know, when love turns to codependency, right? So it's really important to create that environment where everyone feels appreciated, they feel belonging, but there's still boundaries. There's still rules. There's still expectations on performance. Right. Because if I'm derailing myself, well, actually, if, if my need for love, acceptance, belonging goes over the top, then I now all of a sudden I'm, I'm being needy. And people are seeing me as not confident in my own abilities, et cetera. So that's when it derails you from, you know, from healthy belonging and, and healthy acceptance. Yeah. And that's when you start avoiding the difficult conversations. I know that, you know, Jim isn't doing a great job in this role, but gosh, I really like Jim and he's got a great family. And, uh, you know, we were members of the same uh, swim club. And I don't want to like, you know, ruin the relationship there. Well, then you've got a member of your team who's just severely underperforming and you're afraid to have that conversation with them, right? We can't let the maintaining the relationship get in the way of us maintaining effective performance in the, in the, on the team, you know, and if you've got a great relationship with Tim, you should be able to have that conversation. If you can't have that conversation, there's not as much trust there as you think. One of the desires that leaders have, this is natural. If you're in a leadership role, it's for power and status. So talk a little bit about the healthy motivational side of power and status, why it's really important to have that, and then how it can become destructive and derailless. Sure. sure. I mean, this is kind of the black sheep, right? You know, it's it's almost like uncool or or it's not okay to talk about wanting power or wanting influence. But guess what? If nobody wanted that, we wouldn't have leaders. We wouldn't have institutions. Uh, we wouldn't have people who were starting companies and, and you know running for office. Now, I think a lot of us wish higher quality people were running for office these days, but that's a separate conversation. I think a lot of the people in office have taken it too far and they're just they're simply there for the power and no longer for the service, right? Because ultimately, the desire for power and influence has to be motivated by a desire to serve. Those two things go hand in hand. You know, the servant leader is the ideal leader, is the individual who I am here accepting this role, taking this role, because I feel like I can make a difference. I can serve people. I can help elevate this entire organization. As soon as the leader starts making it about him or herself, I want this role for me. I want access. I want to be invited to the White House to talk to somebody. You know, as soon as it's about the status and the prestige, that's when it's tipped over a little too far. Yeah. So once it goes from selfless to self-serving, you're in trouble. Yeah. Selfless to selfish. Exactly. Selfish. Yeah. 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 All right. What do you think? Fourth one? Sure. Sure. So um, the, the next conversation is really fun. Because this is when I give my talks, I get people talking with each other about what their gift is. And this is when you really see people lighting up, right? Or in an office situation, I get, you know, leaders standing in front of their teams, sharing with each other what they think the other's gift is. And this can be, you know, you see people's face light up because like, oh, I never thought of it that way. I didn't think that was my gift. I thought I did that well, but this is kind of more interesting and fundamental. Our gift is often the thing that goes unexpressed and unappreciated. It's the thing that comes very natural to us that everyone else can see and experience, but we've been doing it for so long. May, you know, probably comes out of childhood. It comes out of like learning from a mentor that 
we don't value it the way everyone else does, right? So it often takes the reflection of someone to say, hey, Marcel, guess what? Your gift is your ability to take really complex ideas and simplify them into a few words. You know, your gift is your ability to make people feel at ease, like they can share anything with you on a podcast. Like Larry King was like, you know, known as like one of the greatest interviewers of all time because he could get people to say things they wouldn't say to anyone else, right? And that's a really special gift that those kinds of things we often discount because it's like, my gift is I can close business. My gift is I can raise money. Well, why are you able to raise money? Why are you able to close business? There's something deeper inside you that you're doing that you're probably unaware of. And as soon as you gain an awareness of that, you start seeing applications for it in many other places in your life, many other places in the business. So the great leader is the one who sees, all right, oh, Marcel is really great at running this podcast. Maybe he'd also be great at doing this other thing that actually is going to add even more value to the business and is going to make him feel even more fulfilled. So great leaders are kind of sometimes moving people laterally around in the organization or elevating them to a leadership position that allows them to express their gift in a more, uh, a less encumbered way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I will go further and and you may actually help your team member to realize their own gifts when they didn't know. They didn't even know. Yeah. I didn't think anyone would find that a value. That's really interesting. You know, I tell the story in the book of, uh, a professor of mine saying, Edward, you have this incredible gift of empathy. I was like, what are you talking about? Empathy. <laughs> I don't know. I just can't everyone see everyone else's emotions across the room. <laughs> can't everyone understand three levels down what people are saying? It's like He's like, no, that's actually kind of weird and unique. Right. And I had no idea that I was doing that. And I had this, this, um, this other teacher years ago who had said to me quite, you know, quixotically or or mysteriously, he said, someday you're going to stop. You're going to start living in service of your gift and not using your gift in service of yourself. And I didn't know what he meant. Mm -hmm. But as it turns out, I had this gift of empathy that I was using socially. I was like using it to make friends, using it to meet girls and not using it to really help elevate people and help them discover their own gifts, help them, you know, have great conversations and uh, and build great teams, you know. You know, it's funny. You, uh, so I'm going to pat myself on the back now with what Please I do. I've been told I have the gift of um, discernment, which is another way of saying intuition, right? Highly intuitive. And I didn't know I had that gift until um, I was leading a small group breakout, but it wasn't really small. There was about 30 people in a circle, uh, uh, chairs in a circle. And people started to get vulnerable and they share. But I started to kind of read the room and watch for nonverbal cues of what was going on. And I saw one person that looked a little bit distraught, like kind of uncomfortable sitting in her chair squirming, you know. And and I just kept that in the back of my mind, like something's off here. And so when the speaker was done speaking, I said, uh, I just want to check in with you guys. And then I pointed to that person. I said, are you open? And she said, sure. I said, "Um, how are you feeling about this? What's coming up for you? And uh, because the room room had established safety, right? So she shared and she shared some concerns and some doubts and anxieties that, (laughs) and, and that would, and and other people acknowledged me afterwards, like, wow, hey, we had no idea that person felt that way, which then triggered a conversation to now problem solve around this issue she came up with that nobody saw. Right. But I had not, there's no way I would have known that unless I looked at this person, realized that this, there's something's going on inside this person. And, um, and man, so I, you know, call it whatever you wanted. They, they say intuition. So. Well, it's intuition. And there's also a lot of compassion there, right? Marcel, because you could have looked at that person and said, that person's upset. Am I doing something wrong? You could have made it about yourself. A lot of people do that. You know, they, they, they pick up cues and they're like, oh, did I do something? And instead you had this like big open heart and you're like, what's this person's experience? They're feeling something that's a little incongruous with the rest of the room. How can we dig into that? You know, 
Yeah, that's really beautiful. That's a great story. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thank you. Okay, totally. so let's talk about the derailing part of, all right, well, you know, you got your gifts, you're uh-huh. exercising your gifts. When can gifts hold you back? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, we talk about overdone gifts a lot in our in our work. You know, some people have an incredible gift of like drilling into the details and like seeing, like thinking about everything that could go wrong. That's a great gift. You want that person on your team. You know, the kind of person who like sees the downside and helps you understand risk, helps you understand different contingency plans. But that can go really sideways when the leader is just constantly picking everything apart and constantly being skeptical, you know, and not giving people the power, not allowing people to experiment and make mistakes. Sometimes we talk about overdone loyalty. You know, the the gift of being like extremely loyal and just like really believing in people, that's a great strength. But you can also be loyal to the point of everything falling apart, you know, giving someone a little bit, you know, just too much room to run. And then it's been disastrous. So any any gift you see, any any strength you see out there, you can probably see the, the dark side of it if it's taken to an extreme. There you go. You know, that's great way to put it. Oh, before I jump into the fifth and final conversation, I want to recap. I want to recap the four that we've had. Okay. So if you are to have these five conversations that, as the book's subtitle suggests, that unlock creativity, purpose, and results. All right. You want to start with that foundational conversation centered around this question. What do you need to be at your best? Oh, love that. Okay. And then the next conversation is all about eliminating the fears that hold us back. So Edward uses the question in the book, what fears are holding you back? Third conversation is centered around the question, what desires drive you? Don't forget, and which might also derail you. And the last one we just covered is what are your greatest gifts? All right. So here we are. Last but not least, what's the final conversation? What is your purpose, Marcel? You know, like this is what we think is like, we like to end with the why, right? Simon Sinek says, start with the why, we end with the why. We want to build up to it because a lot of people jump right to the purpose, but they haven't thought about getting their needs met. They're stricken by fear. They don't, haven't tapped in to understand their desires and their gifts. So they can't really have a fully informed conversation about purpose. They're not equipped. They're not ready for that journey, right? Because Purpose is a thing that keeps us going in the long in the long run. Yeah, but yeah, you know? some people have a hard time defining it, though, Edward. So, I mean, how do you how do you see purpose? I mean, I see purpose as ultimately who do you want to serve. You know, that's the big question. Who do you want to serve? What's the impact you want to have in the world? How are you trying to leave the world or even just a couple other people better than you found it or you found them? Right. So, a lot of our clients who feel like they've really tapped into their sense of purpose, they've done so by asking themselves that question, who do I want to serve, right? What is this really about? This isn't simply about building a company and make a lot of money and buying a yacht, right? Those people end up miserable. I'll be honest. Like founders who exit or sent to millionaires, you know, they can buy anything they want in the world. And they did it, you know, building some like company that just like extracts 50 cents uh, of every $10 um, transaction from some supply chain. I don't know, like what, whatever it is, like they didn't really add any value. They just extracted value. They don't feel good about themselves. They don't have like a clear sense of their role in society. They end up feeling very lost. It's those people who really focus on the contribution. What do I have to give? That is ultimately what purpose is all about. It's about giving. It's about creating value for others. I've seen people talk about even in even in the coaching world, right? It's easy to get up there on stage or to work with clients and focus on how it feels for you as the speaker, how it feels for you as a coach. Oh, I love unlocking for people. I feel like a super human. You know, I feel like a like a, a superhero when I do that. Well, then you're making it all about you. Right? You're making it all about how you feel doing the work as opposed to how does the client feel? How does your audience feel? Right? How does your team feel? You know, so ultimately, purpose comes down to figuring out how to be, how to use your gifts 
to their highest and best use in service of something bigger than yourself. Exactly. I, we love stories here. I want to ask you to maybe share a good story of maybe a client, a founder who was struggling with, you know, finding that purpose. What is their why? And then, you know, it's like off to the races when you finally figure that out. What is your contribution to the world? How you create value? Do you have a story of somebody like that? Yeah, sure, sure. I'll keep them anonymous just because sometimes there's an anonymity with our clients. But there is a client we were working with who they had kind of like a, a one-to-one business, meaning for every product they sell, they're also giving one of those products to a community they need, right? And a lot of those businesses, they can tend to go a little sideways because there's incentive to diversify your products. There's incentive to design more of what the customers want, right? And these folks started to go a little, drift a little too far from the shore, right? They were like diversifying their product base to drive sales and drive profits, but they were starting to make products that their community that they served, specifically the homeless community, was never going to use, was not in need of, right? And they had to ask themselves a question, are we doing this simply to make more money, simply to sell more clothes? Are we doing this ultimately to serve who they call their non-paying customers, right? The the people they give, they donate to are their non-paying customers. And do we have an obligation to them to continue to design products that ultimately will not only sell in the market, but will also be of service to them? And it was a really interesting, I think, you know, coming to, to the heart of the issue question for them. Because as an executive team, they had to decide to leave an entire new business line, new clothing line on the design room floor and double down on their core work because that's ultimately what was mission aligned and purpose aligned for them. That's great. And it's a tough decision to make, but it's ended, it's worked out for them. You know, they're they're an extremely healthy business. Mm. Can you bring that down to the team leadership front? Maybe I'm a manager of a 10-person team and we're struggling with how to build a high-performing team and how do we tie purpose to to elevate people's productivity and performance? Is there a way to do it? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's really easy to get lost in the tactics and to get lost in the execution. You know, so a lot of managers today, and I think one of the things that's contributing to the great resignation. I mean, what you talked about at the top of the hour is people are so disconnected from purpose. They feel unappreciated, but they also don't see the big picture. So the manager's job in, in any team is to help people connect their tasks, their role to the bigger picture and the bigger purpose. You know, We might be here creating ad copy for Facebook to get people to buy this and buy that, but ultimately, what's the reason? You know, are we simply trying to get them to buy something, or are we making something that's going to change their lives? Right? Like ultimately, we have to remember that any business, any business with heart, right, and any business worth working for, does something that serves people and makes their lives better. And we have to remember ultimately, it's about making people's lives better, not simply selling them. I tell my clients, always make sure that you give them the micro view and the macro view. Tie the, how the small things tie to the big picture. To the big I like picture. that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. So as we wind down here, Edward, these are challenging times. And I feel that right now, I think in the world that we live in, man, uh, we're seeing and experiencing uh, more threats and attacks to the heart. So take this beyond the business world and our professional lives. I mean, how can we apply the lessons of your book, Leading with Heart, to maybe our everyday lives? Every day, we have an opportunity to lead with heart. We could do it at home. We can do it in our partnerships. We can do it with our friends, right? Everyone is fighting. You know, there's, there's like the saying, everyone's fighting their own battle. Yeah. So the question is, When someone comes at you with negative behavior or they're accusing you or they're just kind of cranky and irritable, are you going to be irritable back? Are you going to fight fire with fire? Are you going to stay open, stay curious, be generous and compassionate and say, hey, what's going on for you? You know, are you getting your needs met? 
you know, seems like you're kind of having a little bit of a you know fear response right now. I'm getting a lot of fight from you. Like, what's going on? You know, like, can we just talk? And as soon as you name that thing, like, I'm, you're you're not being yourself today. Oh, a lot of people they just kind of breathe and they go, yeah, you're right. You know, because anytime someone is hurtful towards us, they are hurting in some way. Only hurt people hurt other people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when we start with that truth, we can respond with curiosity and compassion as opposed to with the knives out. It's really important to remember curiosity and compassion first. Mm, thank you for that. Well, we bring it home with two questions. It's tradition on the show, as we do with every guest. Here they are. Personally, what is really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like us to know? Yeah. Right now, I see a lot of people around the world fighting for their right to live life on their terms. You know, we see a lot of young women in, in Iran fighting for personal freedom. We say the Ukrainian people fighting for autonomy. We see different parties here in the United States, you know, simply fighting for the ability to live life on their own terms, whether it be their sexual identity or their gender identity. And I have a lot of compassion for those folks. I mean, Marcel, let's be really honest. You and I are men with privilege, right? White men in the world, right? And we have to be really aware of the fact that a lot of people out there are fighting for the ability to live life on their terms. And, and my heart really goes out to everyone in that fight. Yeah, I appreciate that. And finally, you close us out, as all guests do, with one key takeaway from this discussion, maybe something to keep inspiring us. I'm going to close us out with what we were just talking about in terms of, I hope everyone listening remembers, it is your job to be the courageous one. It's your job to be the curious one. Anytime someone's coming at you with that fear response, with that negative behavior, that you know they're they're not being themselves, that's an invitation to go high, be courageous, and stay curious. Love it. Edward, if people want to connect with you or your co-author John and learn more about velocity, where can they go? Yeah, we are at velocitycoaching.com. And you can learn more about our book at leadingwithheartbook.com. And follow me on all the socials at Edward L. Sullivan. Fantastic. The book, again, is called Leading with Heart, Five Conversations that Unlock Creativity, Purpose, and Results. I mentioned it in the beginning. I will mention it in the end. This book is a page turner. And I know I'm biased, but I'm recommending (laughs) this book as one of my top 10 books from 2022. And I mean that. So, Edward, it's been an honor. I had a blast hanging out with you. Thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you, Marcel. It's been a pleasure. Keep the conversation going on social media and comment on this episode with hashtag Love in Action Podcast. And as always, look for my show notes to the episode on my website. I'll be sure to include all of Edward's contact info there. And you can go to marcelschwantes.com. And finally, hey, we're always looking for sponsors to help spread the Love in Action movement globally. If you have an interest, reach me on my website or find me on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.